Chapter Fifteen of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Fifteen. Miss Walton's Dream. The hickory fire burned cheerily in the parlor after tea, and all drew gladly around its welcome blaze. But even the delights of roasting chestnuts from the abundant spoils of the afternoon could not keep the heads of the children from drooping early. Gregory was greatly fatigued, and soon went to his room also. Sabbath morning dawned dim and uncertain, and by the time they had gathered at the breakfast-table a northeast rainstorm had set in with a driving gale. "'I suppose you will go to church in spirit this morning,' as Mr. Tugger would say," said Gregory, addressing Annie. "'If I were on the sick list I should, but I have no such excuse.' "'You seriously do not mean to ride two miles in such a storm as this?' "'No, not seriously, but very cheerfully and gladly. "'I do not think it is required of you, Miss Walton. "'Even your Bible states, I will have mercy and not sacrifice.' "'The sacrifice in my case would be in staying at home. "'I like to be out in a storm and have plenty of warm blood to resist its chilling effects.' But even were it otherwise, what hardship is there in wrapping myself up in a waterproof and riding a few miles to a comfortable church? I shall come back with a grand appetite and a double zest for the wood fire. But it is not fair on the poor horses. They have no waterproofs or wood fires. I think I am not indifferent to the comfort of dumb animals, and though I drive a good deal, father can tell you I am not a whip. Of all shams, the most transparent is this tenderness for one's self and the horses on Sunday. I am often out in stormy weather during the week and meet plenty of people on the road. The farmers drive to the village on rainy days because they can neither plough, sow, or reap. But on even a cloudy Sabbath, with the faintest prospect of rain, there is but one text in the Bible for them. A righteous man regarded the life of his beast. People attend parties, the opera, and places of amusement, no matter how bad the night. It is a miserable pretense to say that the weather keeps the majority at home from church. It is only an excuse. I should have a great deal more respect for them if they would say frankly, we would rather sleep, read a novel, dawdle around on deshabille, and gossip. Half the time when they say it's too stormy to venture out, oh, the heroism of our Christian age, they should go and thank God for the rain that is providing food for them and theirs and granting that our christian duties do involve some risk and hardship does not the bible ever speak of life as a warfare a struggle an agonizing for success do not armies often fight and march in the rain and dumb beasts share their exposure there is more at stake in this battle in ancient times god commanded the bloody sacrifice of innumerable animals for the sake of moral and religious effect moral and religious effect is worth just as much now nothing can excuse wanton cruelty but the soldier who spurs his horse against the enemy and the sentinel who keeps out in a winter storm are not cruel but many farmers about here will overwork and underfeed all the week and on sunday talk about being merciful to their beasts there won't be over twenty-five out to-day and the christian heroes the sturdy yeomanry of the church will be dozing and grumbling in chimney-corners the languid half-heartedness of the church discourages me more than all the evil in the world. Miss Walton stated her views in a quiet undertone of indignation, and not so much in answer to Gregory as in protest against a style of action utterly repugnant to her earnest, whole-souled nature. As he saw the young girl's face light up with the will and purpose to be loyal to a noble cause, 
his own aimless self-pleasing life seemed petty and contemptible indeed and again he had that painful sense of humiliation which miss walton unwittingly caused him but as was often his way he laughed the matter off by saying there is no need of my going to-day for i have had my sermon and a better one than you will hear still such is the effect of your homily that i am inclined to ask you to take me with you annie's manner changed instantly and she smilingly answered you will find an armchair before a blazing fire in your room upstairs and an armchair before a blazing fire in the parlor and you can vacillate between them at your pleasure as a vacillating man should perhaps you might add i add nothing of the kind will you never let me go to church with you again certainly after what you said any pleasant day why can't i have the privilege of being a martyr as well as yourself i am not a martyr i would rather go out to-day than stay at home it will be very lonely without you oh you are the martyr then after all i hope you will have sufficient fortitude to endure and doze comfortably during the two hours of my absence now you are satirical on sunday miss walton let that burden your conscience i am going to ask your father if i may go of course you will act at your pleasure said mr walton but i think in your present state of health annie has suggested the wiser and safer thing to do i should probably be ill on your hands if i went so i submit but i wish you to take note miss walton that i had the spirit to go the armchairs were cosy and comfortable and the hickory wood turned as is its wont into glowing and fragrant coals but the house grew chill and empty the moment that annie left though mr walton and miss eulie accompanied her their absence was rather welcome but he felt sure that annie could have beguiled the heavy-footed hours she has some unexplained power of making me forget my miserable self he muttered and yet left to himself he now had nothing to do but think and a fearful time he had of it lowering at the fire in the armchair from which he scarcely stirred i have lost my vantage-ground he groaned lost it utterly i am not even a well-meaning man i purpose evil against this freshest purest spirit i have ever known since in this house i looked into my mother's eyes i am worse than the wild arab of the desert i have eaten salt with them i have partaken of their generous hospitality given so cordially for the sake of one that is dead and in return have wounded their most sacred feelings and now propose to prove the daughter a creature that i can go away and despise instead of being glad that there is one in the world noble and good even though by accident instead of noting with pleasure that every sweet flower has not become a weed I wish to drag her down to my own wretched level, or else I would have her exhibit sufficient weakness to show that she would go as far as she was tempted to go. A decent devil could hardly wish her worse. I would like to see her show the same spirit that animates Miss Bell St. Clair of New York, or Mrs. Grobb, my formerly adored Miss Bentley, creatures that I despise as I do myself, and what more could I say? if i could only cause her to show some of their characteristics the reproach of her life would pass away and i should be confirmed in my belief that humanity's unutterable degradation is its misfortune and the blame should rest elsewhere than on us how absurd to blame water for running downhill give man or woman half a chance that is before habits are fixed and they plunge faster down the inclined moral plane and the plague of it is this seeming axiom does not satisfy me what business has my conscience with a lash of scorpion stings to punish me this and every day that i permit myself to think did i not try for years to be better did i not resist the infernal gravitation 
and yet I am falling still. I never did anything so mean and low before as I am doing now. If it is my nature to do evil, why should I not do it without compunction? And as I look downward, there is no looking forward for me. There seems no evil thing that I could not do if so inclined. Here in this home of my childhood, this sacred atmosphere that my mother breathed, I would besmirch the character of one who as yet is pure and good, with a nature like a white hyacinth in spring. I see the vileness of the act, I loathe it, and yet it fascinates me, and I have no power to resist. Why should a stern, condemning voice declare in the recesses of my soul, you could and should resist? For years I have been daily yielding to temptation, and conscience as often pronounces sentences against me. When will the hateful farce cease? Multitudes appear to sin without thought or remorse. Why cannot I? It's my mother's doing, I suppose. A plague upon the early memories of this place. Will they keep me upon the rack forever? He rose, strode up and down the parlor, and clenched his hands in passionate protest against himself, his destiny, and the God who made him. A chilliness resulting partly from dread and partly from the wild storm raging without caused him to heap up the hearth with wood. It speedily leaped into flame, and covering his face with his hands, he sat cowering before it. A vain but frequent thought recurred to him with double power. Oh, that I could cease to exist and lose this miserable consciousness! Oh, that like this wood I could be aflame with intense passionate life, and then lose identity, memory, and everything that makes me, and pass into other forms. Nay, more, if I had my wish I would become nothing here and now. The crackling of flames and the rush of wind and rain against the windows had caused the sounds of wheels and a light step in the room to be unheard. He was aroused by Miss Walton, who asked, "'Mr. Gregory, are you ill?' He raised his woebegone face to hers and said almost irritably, "'Yes, no, or at least I am as well as I ever expect to be, and perhaps better.' Then with a sudden impulse he asked, "'Does annihilation seem such a dreadful thing to you?' what the losing of an eternity of keen enjoyment could anything be more dreadful really mr gregory brooding here alone has not been good for you why do you not think of pleasant things for the same reason that a man with a raging toothache does not have pleasant sensations he answered with a grim smile i admit the force of your reply though i do not think the case exactly parallel the mind is not as helpless as the body. Still, I believe it is true that when the body is suffering, the mind is apt to become the prey of all sorts of morbid fancies, and you do look really ill. I wish I could give you some of my rampant health and spirits today. Facing the October storm has done me good every way, and I am ravenous for dinner. He looked at her enviously as she stood before him, with her waterproof still covered with raindrops partially thrown back and revealing the outline of a form which, though not stout, was suggestive of health and strength. She seemed, with her warm high color, like a hardy flower covered with spray. Instead of shrinking feebly and delicately from the harsher moods of nature, and coming in pinched and shivering, she had felt the blood in her veins and all the wheels of life quickened by the gale. "'Miss Walton,' he said with a glimmer of a smile, "'do you know that you are very different from most young ladies?' You and nature evidently have some deep secrets between you. I half believe you will never grow old, but are one of the perennials. I am glad you have come home, for you seem to bring a little of yesterday's sunshine into the dreary house. As they returned to the parlor after dinner, Gregory remarked, 
Miss Walton, what can you do to interest me this afternoon, for I am devoured with ennui? She turned upon him rather quickly and said, A young man like you has no business to be devoured with ennui. Why not engage in some pursuit, or take up some subject that will interest you and stir your pulse? With a touch of his old mock gallantry he bowed and said, In you I see just the subject, and I am delighted to think I am going to have you all to myself this rainy afternoon. With a half-vexed laugh and somewhat heightened color, she answered, I imagine you won't have me all to yourself long. She had hardly spoken the words before the children bounded in, exclaiming, Now, Aunt Annie, for our stories! You see, Mr. Gregory, there are previous and counterclaims already. I wish I knew of some way of successfully disputing them. It would be difficult to find. Well, come, little people, we will go into the sitting-room and not disturb Mr. Gregory. Now I protest against that, he said. You might at least let me be one of the children. But the trouble is, you won't be one, but we'll sit by criticizing and laughing at our infantile talk. No, you do me wrong. I will be as good as I can, and if you knew how long and dreary the day has been, you would not refuse. She looked at him keenly for a moment, and then said, a little doubtfully, Well, I will try for once. Run and get your favorite Sunday books, children. When they were alone, he asked, how can you permit these youngsters to be such a burden? They are not a burden, she answered. But a nurse could take care of them and keep them quiet. If their father and mother were living, they would not think keeping them quiet all their duty toward them, nor do I, to whom they were left as a sacred trust. That awful word duty rules you, Miss Walton, with a rod of iron. Do I seem like a harshly driven slave? she asked smilingly. No, and I cannot understand you. That is because your philosophy of life is wrong. You still belong to that old school who would have it that sun, moon, and stars revolve around the earth. But here are the books, and if you are to be one of the children, you must do as I bid you, be still and listen. It was strange to Gregory how content he was to obey. He was surprised at his interest in the old Bible stories told in childish language, and as Annie stopped to explain a point or answer a question, he found himself listening, as did the eager little boy sitting on the floor at her feet. The hackneyed man of the world could not understand how the true simple language of nature, like the little brown blossoms of lichens, has a beauty of its own. At the same time he had a growing consciousness that perhaps there was something in the reader also which mainly held his interest. It was pleasant to listen to the low musical voice. It was pleasant to see the red lips drop the words so easily yet so distinctly, and chief of all was the consciousness of a vitalized presence that made the room seem full when she was in it, and empty when she was absent, though all others remained. He truly shared the children's regret when at last she said, Now I am tired, and must go upstairs and rest a while before supper, after which we will have some music. You can go into the sitting-room and look at the pictures till the tea-bell rings. Mr. Gregory, will my excuse to the children answer for you also? I suppose it must, though I have no pictures to look at. She suddenly appeared to change her mind and said briskly, Come, sir, what you need is work for others. I have read to you, and you ought to be willing to read to me. If you please, I will rest in the armchair here instead of my room. I will take your medicine, he said eagerly, without a wry face, though an indifferent reader, while I think you are a remarkably good one. And let me tell you, it is one of the rarest accomplishments we find. You shall also choose the book. What unaccountable amiableness, she replied, laughing. I fear I shall reward you by going to sleep. 
very well, anything so I am not left alone again. I am wretched company for myself. Oh, it is not for my sake you are so good after all. You think me a selfish wretch, Miss Walton. I think you are like myself, capable of much improvement. But I wish to rest, and you must not talk but read. There is the Sconberg Cotta family. I have been over it two or three times, so if I lose the thread of the story it does not matter. He wheeled the armchair up to the fire for her, and for a while she listened with interest. But at last her lids drooped and soon closed, and her regular breathing showed that she was sleeping. His voice sank in lower and lower monotone, lest his sudden stopping should awaken her. Then he laid down his book and read a different story in the pure young face turned toward him. It is not beautiful, he thought, but it is a real good face. I should not be attracted toward it in a thronged and brilliant drawing-room. I might not notice it on Fifth Avenue, but if I were ill and in deep trouble, it is just such a face as I should like to see bending over me. Am I not ill and in deep trouble? I have lost my health and lost my manhood. What worse disasters this side death can I experience? Be careful, Walter Gregory. You may be breaking the one clue that can lead you out of the labyrinth. You may be seeking to palsy the one hand that can help you. Mother believed in a special providence. It is her suggestion that now flashes in my mind, that God in mercy has brought me to this place of sacred memories, and given me the companionship of this good woman, that the bitter waters of my life may be sweetened. I do not know from whom else it can come. And yet the infernal fascination of evil. I cannot, I will not give up my purpose toward her. Vain dreams, Miss Walton, or an angel of light, could not reclaim me. My impetus downward is too great. Oh, the rest and peace of that face! Physical rest and a quiet, happy spirit dwell in every line. She sleeps there like a child, little dreaming that a demon is watching her. But she says that she is guarded. Perhaps she is. A strong, viewless one with a flaming sword may stand between her and me. Weak fool, enough of this. I shall carry out my experiment fully, and when I have succeeded or failed, I can come to some conclusion on matters now in doubt. I should like to kiss those red parted lips. I wonder what she would do if I did. Annie's brow darkened into a frown. Suddenly she started up and looked at him, but seemed satisfied from his distance and motionless aspect. What is the matter? he asked. "'Oh, nothing. I had a dream,' she said with a slight flush. "'Please tell it,' he said, though he feared her answer. "'You will not like it. Besides, it's too absurd. "'You pique my curiosity. Tell it by all means. "'Well, then, you mustn't be angry. "'And remember, I have no faith in sleeping vagaries. "'I dreamed that you were transformed into a large tiger "'and came stealthily to bite me.' "'He was startled as he recalled his thought at the moment of her awakening.' but had the presence of mind to say, Let me interpret the dream. Well, you know, I suppose, that dreams go by contraries. Suppose a true friend wished to steal a kiss in your unconsciousness. True friends do not steal from us, she replied, laughing. I don't know whether it was safe to let you read me to sleep. It's not wrong to be tempted, is it? One can't help that. As Mr. Tugger says, I might have the spirit to do it, and yet remain quietly in my chair, as I have. You made an admission in your explanation. Well, it was queer, she added absently. Gregory thought so, too, and was annoyed at her unexpected clairvoyant powers. But he said, as if a little piqued, 
if you think me a tiger you had better not sleep within my reach or you may find your face sadly mutilated on awaking nonsense she said mr gregory you are a gentleman we are talking like foolish children the tea-bell now rang and gregory obeyed its summons in a very perplexed state his manner was rather absent during the meal but annie seemed to take pains to be kind and reassuring the day so far from being a restraint appeared one of habitual cheerfulness which even the dreary storm without could not dampen we shall have a grand sing to-night with the assistance of your voice i hope mr gregory said mr walton as they all adjourned to the parlor i do not sing by note he replied when i can i will join you though i much prefer listening to miss walton miss walton prefers nothing of the kind and we shall sing only what you know she said with a smiling glance at him over her shoulder as she was making selections from the music stand soon they were all standing round the piano save mr walton who sat near in his armchair his face the picture of placid enjoyment as he looked on the little group so dear to him they began with the children's favorites from the sabbath school books the little boy dutifully finding the place for his grandfather many of them were the same that gregory had sung long years before standing in the same place a child like johnny and the vivid memories thus recalled made his voice a little husky occasionally annie once gave him a quick look of sympathy not curious but appreciative she seems to know what is passing in my soul he thought i never knew a woman with such intuitions the combined result of their voices was true home music in which were blended the notes of childhood and age annie with her sweet soprano led and gave time and key to them all very much as by the force and loveliness of her character she influenced the daily harmony of their lives the children with their imitative faculty seemed to gather from her lips how to follow with fair correctness and they chirped through the tunes like two intelligent robins miss eulie sang a sweet though rather faint alto that was like a low minor key in a happy life mr walton's melody was rather that of the heart for his voice was returning to the weakness of childhood and his ear was scarcely quick enough for the rapid changes of the air and yet unless grandpa joined with them all felt that the circle was incomplete gregory was a foreign element in the little group almost a stranger to its personnel and more estranged from the sacred meanings and feeling of the hour yet such was the power of example so strong were the sweet home spells of this christian family that to his surprise he found himself entering with zest into a scene that on the sabbath before he would have regarded as an unmitigated bore the thought flashed across him how some of my club acquaintances would laugh to see me standing between two children singing sabbath school hymns it was also a sad truth that he could go away from all present influences to spend the next sabbath at his club in the ordinary style when the children's hour had passed and they had been tucked away to peaceful springtime dreams though a storm the precursor of winter raged without annie returned to the parlor and said now mr gregory we can have some singing more to your taste i have been one of the children to-day he replied so you must let me off with them from any further singing myself if you insist on playing the children's role you must go to bed i have some grand old hymns that i've been wishing to try with you indeed miss walton i am but half a man at the risk of your contempt i must say in frankness that my whole physical nature yearns for my armchair but please do not call my weakness laziness if you will sing to me just what you please according to your mood i for one will be grateful even a dragon could not resist such an appeal said annie laughing 
she sat down to her piano and soon partially forgot her audience in an old sabbath evening habit well known to natural musicians of expressing her deeper and more sacred feelings in words and notes that harmonized with them gregory sat and listened as the young girl unwittingly revealed a new element in her nature in her everyday life she appeared to him full of force and power practical and resolute to one of his sporting tastes she suggested a mettled steed whose high spirit was kept in check by thorough training her conversation was piquant at times a little brusque and utterly devoid of sentimentality but now her choice of poetic thought and her tones revealed a wealth of womanly tenderness and he was compelled to feel that her religion was not legal and cold a system of duties beliefs and restraints but something that seemed to stir the depths of her soul with mystic longings and overflow her heart with love she was not adoring the creator nor paying homage to a king but as the perfume rises from a flower so her voice and manner seemed the natural expression of a true strong affection for god himself not afar off but known as a near and dear friend in her sweet tones there was not the faintest suggestion of the effect or style that a professional singer would aim at she thought no more of these than would a thrush swaying on its spray in the twilight of a june evening as unaffectedly as the bird she sang according to the inward promptings of a nature purified and made lovely by the grace of god no one not utterly given over to evil could have listened unmoved still less gregory with his sensitive beauty-loving though perverted nature the spirit of david's harp again breathed its divine peace on his sin-disquieted soul the words of old daddy tugger flashed across him and he muttered yes she could take even me to heaven if she stayed right by me when finally with heartfelt sincerity she sang the following simple words to an air that seemed a part of them he envied her from the depths of his soul and felt that he would readily barter away any earthly possession and life itself for a like faith nearer nearer ever nearer come i gladly unto thee and the days are growing brighter with thy presence nearer me though a pilgrim not a stranger this thy land and i thy own at thy side thus free from danger find i paths with flowers strown voices varied nature speaking call to me on every side friends and kindred give their greeting in thy sunshine i abide though my way were flinty thorny were i sure it led to thee could i pass one day forlornly home and rest so near to me then she brought the old family bible indicating that after that hour she was in no mood for commonplace conversation in the hush that followed the good old man reverently read a favorite passage which seemed not to consist of cold printed words but to be a part of a loving letter sent by the divine father to his absent children as such it was received by all save gregory he sat among them as a stranger and an alien cut off by his own acts from those ties which make one household of earth and heaven but such was the influence of the evening upon him that he realized as never before his loss and loneliness he longed intensely to share in their feelings and to appropriate the words of love and promise that mr walton read the prayer that followed was so tender so full of heartfelt interest in his guest that gregory's feelings were deeply touched he arose from his knees and again shaded his face to hide the traces of his emotion when at last he looked up mr walton was quietly reading and the ladies had retired he rose and bade mr walton good-night with a strong but silent grasp of the hand 
the thought flashed across him as he went to his room that after this evening and the grasp as of friendship he had just given the father he could not in the faintest degree meditate evil against the daughter but so conscious was he of moral weakness so self-distrustful in view of many broken resolutions that he dared resolve on nothing he at last fell into a troubled sleep with the vain regretful thought oh that i had not lost my vantage-ground oh that i could live my life over again End of chapter 15